How is it on? Okay. All right. You've got to turn the mic on or it doesn't work, right? <clears throat> now, you may have noticed in the bulletin that uh, we are not doing the series The Gathering Storm, as I said. And the reason for that is that there's an outcome that has taken place over the last two years in the face of COVID and uh, other situations that made it hard for me to be here and to fill the pulpit. Uh, and so Pastor Trevor asked for several men to uh, minister to the congregation by sharing the pulpit. And that experience, I think, was valuable to them and to the congregation and certainly to me. Now, I've talked about this before, and I hope that we would bring this into the congregation as a normative thing. And what happened is Pastor Trevor actually took the situation that came up and uh, decided to use it to meet the need. Um, he and I have talked about this, and we believe it's time for us, particularly as we're starting a new ecclesiastical year with Advent, to make this a regular part of the Disciple Center. I think you guys are all aware uh, that uh, the D.C. is a little different than other congregations. I don't mean just our uh, uh, Judeo-Christian messianic perspective, though that's certainly part of it. But really, we're a congregation that believes in direct participation of the membership in our households, in our congregation, and then by extension to the broader Jewish and Christian communities and to society at large. We don't have a paid staff that does the ministry while the other people support them with prayer and finances. We have a congregation that ministers to each other, equipped and supported by the pastors and elders. And that's the biblical model. I want to remind you of that uh, before I talk about the practical implementation of what we're going to try to do. So if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 16, I want to look at a passage that you have seen quite a bit. We've talked about it. It's preached in many, many churches and then not practiced. Uh, it's talked about and then not done. Uh, we're trying to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, the apostle says that he, meaning God through Christ, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, the holy ones, the believers, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Messiah, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, this passage makes it clear that the work of ministry is the job of the congregation. Every member is a minister. What kind of minister? They are 
That's why the role gifts are there. The apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers are there to equip the members of the congregation for their ministry at the measure of their faith, as Romans says, and in the operation that's based on their spiritual and natural gifting uh, and their opportunities in that context. Um, So this requires the body to function with all the members functioning as best we can. In the same way that a family, the parents equip the children for adult life so that they will be able to function as a full family in that, in that context. Now, I'm grateful uh, to be able to present this congregation to the Lord in prayer when I do because... You are trying that. You're trying it with what you do in your homes. You're trying it with what you do in each other's homes. You're trying it in your parenting. uh, All of that. And and watching this morning as children were uh, reading and reciting along with their dad was just a blessing. And then to hear the children giving their answers. And I know it makes a lot of you nervous when your kid's about to give the answer because you don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. But generally we're pleasantly surprised. Uh, sometimes it's humorous, but it's more often biblical than not biblical. And that's a testimony to you as parents and what you're doing. Um, so we're on the path. We haven't arrived. We won't arrive until the Lord returns. But I think that what you guys have done in your homes and in this congregation is commendable. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to open up the last Sunday of the month. For members of the D.C. to preach and to minister the word to the congregation. This is exactly what Paul told the Corinthian congregation to do. So I want you to turn with me to Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. And we'll begin at verse uh, 26. Yeah. Paul's talking about the congregational life of the, of the members. And he says in verse 26, So what is the outcome? Brethren, when you assemble, when you gather, when you congregate, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let everything be done for edification. Notice the theme that it is the building up, maturing of the body That is the focus here. It's not the growth of the body numerically. That's also part of what we do. But primarily what the body does. Is it functions as a body. Building itself up. If you will. Maturing itself and healing itself. By the gifts that God has placed. Within the body. So he says. If anyone speaks in a tongue. It should be by two or at the most three. Each in turn. And one must interpret. If there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. This issue of tongues, I'm not going to talk about today. I've done that in the past. Verse 29 is important. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. And if a revelation is made to another who is seated, then the first one must keep silent. 
For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. The spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now I want you to catch this. Notice what Paul's saying. He says, let the prophets speak. He's not talking about the office of prophet in the sense that we would think of the Older Testament. He's talking about this in the context of the spirit in the congregation and the word of God permeating the congregation. And so he says that those who are going to give a prophecy or give a proclamation of the of the word of God and an explanation of the word of God are to do that, two or three of them. Remember that in the synagogue structure there were multiple readings and probably somebody is giving an explanation of each of those readings in that framework just as Jesus did when they handed him the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61 and then spoke to the people in that sense. So notice in verse 31, Paul says, all of you can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted, encouraged to move on with God in that sense. Now, notice he's given this in order, but he's also telling them that they all have the capacity to do prophecy and prayers. Now, he's not talking about telling the future. He's talking about explaining and professing the word of God that can be done by all of them. And so uh, it's important when somebody professes and proclaims the word of God that others are there to watch and make sure that what is spoken is correct. And so this is a communal uh, process, not an individual message that a person gives because they have this unique understanding of the message. What we're doing is reinforcing and passing down the truths and the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. Now I want you to pick up at verse 34. I'm going to read it the way I think it should be translated instead of the way it is translated. Wives are to keep silent in the church for they are not permitted to speak but are to subject themselves just as the law, the Torah says. If they will learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. It is improper for a wife to speak in the church. Now, why did I say wife instead of woman? These passages have been used to keep women silent in the churches. I was actually in a Plymouth Brethren group where they take this so literal that when I asked the pianist to pray, she shook her head no, because they're not allowed to even pray. Taking this verse out of its context and telling the wives to be in submission to their husbands, and if they're struggling with it, they don't interrupt their husband in the congregation, but they ask him at home. Now, why do I say that's the interpretation? I say that because... Uh, Paul is very clear about the role of wives and husbands, men and women, in this thing called praying and prophesying. He's already told the Corinthians, so I want you to back up to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. In verse 2 he says, 
Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions that I, as I delivered them to you. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every husband, and the husband is the head of the wife, and God is the head of Christ. Every husband who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But the wife who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. Now, I don't want to get into the head covering thing. It's about making a distinction between males and females that the angels don't have, but we have. And it's tied to the issue of the law. Remember Paul said in the passage we just looked at, this learning in subjection is what the law requires. Well, I dare you to look through the commandments in the Torah and find where it tells women to be silent. But you will find that in Numbers chapter 30, the relationship of the husband to the wife and the relationship of the father to his daughter in the home, in the marriage, in the family, has a specific issue that Paul is talking about. So he is wanting the marital relationships not to interfere with what goes on in the congregation and what goes on in the congregation not to interfere with the marital relationship of the home. So notice in chapter 11 that he says that the man or the woman, the word husband or wife, same word here, prays or prophesies. What is he talking about? Well, when he talks about praying, he's talking about the liturgy, the reading of the scriptures and the speaking of the prayers that are done in the traditional synagogue liturgy. And as we have always done, the reading of the scriptures, the opening of the ark, the saying of the prayers can be done by men and women uh, equally in that sense. The only proviso Paul would say is, don't, let, don't drag your marital stuff into that congregation. So, for example, when I'm preaching, Linda will not interrupt me and say, well, you said this before, right? She's not going to bring the marital thing into the, the congregational framework. That's what Paul's talking about. If she didn't understand what I said, instead of causing a situation as my wife, she would ask me at home. Okay, So this is probably what Paul's talking about, but it's been translated simply as men and women and treated as a gender issue when it's really a marital issue in that context. But notice that both the husband and the wife or the man and the woman can pray, that is do the liturgy or prophesy. Now what is prophesying? Prophesying is explaining professing, exhorting on the meaning of the scriptures. And that also can be done by men or women in the biblical context of the, of the congregation. Uh, now, Paul then is expecting that both men and women will pray and prophesy in the congregation. Where the heck does he get an idea like that? Well, I'm going to tell you. I want you to turn with me to the prophet Joel. Most people will find that in the new section of their Bible. 
because those are the books that people don't read so much, right? I had mine marked, and now I've... I've There it is. Okay, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. The prophet Joel says this. It will come about after this. He's talking about a context that's related to the day of the Lord. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Got it? It's not they're going to be prophets. They're going to prophesy. They're going to proclaim the word of God. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now Paul gets this because he understands this text and he quotes it. But it's also quoted by the Apostle Peter. So I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. Peter stands up with the eleven. You know they're speaking in tongues and... And people say, these guys are full of new wine, and uh, that's because they didn't understand the languages. But the people from the diaspora who came there, who spoke those languages, understood them. And they were proclaiming the glorious acts of God. And so some people thought they were drunk because they didn't get it. And other people saying, how come we're hearing them speak this in our native language? These guys don't live in that area. He says, these men are not drunk. As you suppose, for it is the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bondservants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit... And they shall prophesy. Peter says it again. The giving of the Spirit changes the dynamic between the former covenant and the newer covenant that God is making with Israel here, but will be expanded to the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius because they also will have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And Paul understands this, and so he's telling them, you have the Spirit of God in you, you can learn God's Word, you can understand God's Word, you can reinforce God's Word to each other when you gather in the congregation. But it's not to interfere with the marital relationships, which is what Paul is trying to address this. So, I'm going to um, bring up some points now, not not a text, there's no biblical verse for this, uh, except I think what we're going to do is consistent with these texts. So beginning in December, we will be leaving the pulpit open for members of the D.C., both male and female, to minister the word to the congregation. 
And it, this is going to be the basic process that we will use. If you have something you want to preach or exhort, you will contact one of the elders, one of the pastors. Let us know about that. We will discuss that subject with you so that we understand the thrust of your marriage, uh, marriage <laughs> your message. There we go. Don't let that marriage word get in the message word, right? You'll then prepare your sermon and go over it with one of us to allow some feedback. And the reason for that is since we're supposed to discern what you proclaim, you don't want to get up here and say something, and then afterwards we have to come up and say, that's not exactly it, it's this way, right? So we want to not embarrass anybody. We want to guide you through the process. After all, we're supposed to equip you for the doing of this. And while the early congregations did all of this, we have not done it for centuries where we've had the, the main guys doing it, right? The pastor does it. Everybody else just sits and watches and listens. That's not the biblical model. Then you will be scheduled to speak at a service that is open and that works with your own schedule. So that, that will be the process that we're, we're going to use uh, for this. Now what kind of content will these messages be? And you saw this brilliantly done by the men who spoke over the summer. Some of these were uh, readings tied to the, the portion reading that's for that week that could come from Judaism or the Eastern Church or the Western Church. And you, and you, could, you could do that. Here's the reading for this week and here's, here's my understanding of that and, and what it applies to us. You could also address a favorite biblical passage or event in the Bible that you want to, want to share. You can address a biblical subject as was done over the summer. Or you can also... Um, address an application to a present concern that might be going on. Or you can make it an extended testimony, as was also done, where we, we give short praises and testimonies in our service, but there are times when a, a fuller understanding of the story might be uh, appropriate in that context. So, we're wanting to manifest our knowledge of God's word, our understanding of who he is among us, and what he is doing among us. So all of those would be appropriate content. Now, I'm saving time for Q&A because I figured today there will probably be some. Right? So I think this is an important move for the D.C. It opens up the potential of ministry in several contexts. I recall when... We were very, very small. We were just starting. We were upstairs over here. And I spent, we, the knees, the chairs were such that there was just barely room to walk between. Some of you may remember that. And we uh, spent a sermon working on the liturgy. How to put a call to worship together. The presentation of selves. All of that stuff. And it wasn't long after that. That some members of the D.C. Got stranded with their family. Over a weekend. And they simply grabbed their Bible. Put together a service. And uh, did the service for their, for their family. We've also had people who have put a service together. And we've done it as our liturgy. You always have that opportunity to do that. 
if you if you want to put a service together uh, yourself. That practicing that, knowing how to do that, is critical because the day may come when we are scattered. The day may come where we're not able to gather. The day may come when the leadership gets to go to jail, right? And and you'll have to in Havarot or other types of settings do these things. So we want you equipped for that purpose. Hopefully that won't happen, but we want to be ready for it. I also believe that when you have the ability to do the liturgy and the proclamation of the word, you have everything you need for a congregation to be born out of your household. I mentioned to the Stevers, they, you know, they're, look, they're going to be looking for a congregation. What if we don't find a congregation? Well, their household is going to be solid enough. And there could be other people that would want that. And they might be able to actually develop a DC where they are. I don't know what the future holds. But I want us to be prepared to do whatever God might want us to do. I believe the early congregations operated in this way. And that was part of God's intent for his people. The idea of professional pastors is post-Reformation. And before that, pastors took vows as priests, vows of poverty and celibacy, which violates what, what Paul says the pastoral requirements are. The husband of one wife who raises his children well. So we've had a long history of doing it the way the culture says and not the way the scripture says. The New Testament congregations were active congregations of members ministering to each other under the watch care of elders who equipped them for that ministry. I think this will help us to strengthen the Havarot that are already developing within our congregation and may help us to expand that to others beyond the Disciple Center as well. So, we... We didn't know when we were going to start this, but because it went so well, we thought it needed to be done sooner rather than later. And since we were starting a new ecclesiastical year, and we were trying to get back on the framework where I'm not in the pulpit every time, uh, obviously when one of the elders has something to say, I move aside and let them do that. That's part of that passage, you recall. If something is revealed to another person, then who's seated, then he will stand and speak, and the other one. Now, Paul's talking about that in a given meeting, but we're following that same principle in the context of the congregation. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then I'll open it up for Q&A, and we'll see what's...